All right, we will start off this morning in prayer. Lord, we are so blessed. We are blessed in all the little ways that we take for granted or um, so many things, just having the opportunity to have another day to live, another day to come together, another day where the car worked well enough to get here, the weather is nice, the fellowship is good, the excitement is here to worship you, Lord, and yet we know that the whole point of today is your glory. It is to focus on not our experience in this world, Lord, but instead to focus on you and what you have done for us so that we can avoid the experience of internal judgment and instead get to enjoy eternal glory where we will get to be in the glory of the Son eternally. Lord, we pray that that will be our focus, and as today we go about talking about um, false doctrine around Christ, Lord, I pray that the result is that Christ is more clearly seen so that we can better worship the one who is the whole purpose for our being, the whole purpose for our salvation, our faith, and confidence. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. Okay, uh, hopefully everyone got a chance to get a, a handout. We're going to go into uh, the false Jesus of Mormonism. And just in case anyone wasn't here, I think just about everybody uh, here today was here last week. Um, but I will do a quick review. This wasn't all the points, but I tried to summarize them and make them a little briefer. Uh, uh, the reason that this study is worthy of our time and worth um, even considering what some false uh, religions and teachings teach on certain subjects or on, on the subject of Christ specifically is because one, you see there, we, allows us to better see the true Jesus more clearly. Okay, that's the number one purpose of all of this is not to be more knowledgeable about them. It is to be more knowledgeable about Christ um, through, through the uh, falseness of their teaching and through the accuracy of scripture. And then two is to know the one who is the guarantor of the new covenant. We looked at a few passages last week about the significance of Christ. Those who might not know, Jesus is kind of a big deal to us. And we're going to see this over and over today and throughout the rest of the study. Um, if you get Christ wrong, uh, you'll get uh, eternal destination right, unfortunately, which is um, going to be judgment for your sin as opposed to the judgment based on the righteousness of Christ. And then third is to spot wolves who claim to be sheep. We're going to be attempting to protect hearing, especially those of us when we're around others who maybe are less spiritually mature or maybe in our daily lives, coworkers, things like that. We come around to those who start saying words that sound good. They sound um, buzzy and they sound familiar, but they're they're just familiar enough maybe to put us off guard and then instead they're uh, wolves in sheep clothing, calling themselves Christians or um, saying that, yes, we believe in Jesus. He was a good teacher um, for all these religions, right? He's a good teacher. He's a good man. Um, and here's who he is. And yet who he is is completely wrong. So we need to be able to spot those wolves in sheep clothing. And then we need to be able to give a defense for the hope within us. So there will absolutely be a uh, evangelistic approach to all of this um, at the end. I'm going to try to include some application in terms of how do we take what we've learned and not just have that knowledge, but you're now, if you're interacting with someone, 
who is claiming these things, how do you actually engage with someone or use this information to talk to someone who believes it? And so uh, that'll be the, the end of our time today. We'll talk about that. So last week, though, if you remember, we looked at, the, we looked at a few different um, things, but one of the things we looked at we read, was the Apostles' Creed and the first, um, the first point or the, the first paragraph of the 1689 chapter 8, which is on the doctrine of Christ, is on Christ. When we looked at that first paragraph and the Apostles' Creed, there was nothing in either, there were nothing in either that Mormons would say, we have a problem with that. So you and a Mormon could say the Apostles' Creed together, although that's not part of their tradition. You could say the Apostles' Creed with a Mormon, and they think they're, we're brothers in arms, which is a bit concerning. Uh, it's very concerning because this to me, right, it, the Apostles' Creed is something that has been recited for um, centuries, a you know, one and a decimal millennia, um, and um, it is something that is we hold too dearly as a statement of faith. Now, it's not the statement of faith's responsibility to have so many exhaustive words that anyone else who comes up with a religion along the way, it defends against it, and yet we need to be careful not to say, oh, you're an Apostles' Creed person, or you're 1689, chapter eight, paragraph one, we're in agreement, okay, we're good. And so what I'd like to do is I'm gonna read, we, we don't have our blue bulletins out today, so I'm gonna read the 1689 um, chapter eight, paragraph two. And this is where if I would encourage, take some time and study, if you wanna know more and more about um, the fine points of Christ, look at chapter eight specifically of, of Christ, that's a good place to start. And I'm gonna read chapter two, okay? So I stopped short on purpose last week to show the commonalities, or not the commonalities, but what they would claim as commonalities. But here, um, chapter two, because this is gonna ground us. Everything we'll hear from Mormons will not agree with the second paragraph of this chapter. The Son of God, the second person, the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things he hath made, did, when the fullness of time was come, take unto him man's nature, with all of the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her and the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the scriptures, so that the two whole perfect and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. So this is gonna be what anchors us. I felt really, really icky this week as I continued to look at the Mormon website, the LDS website and pull resources. And the idea that I'm giving you a handout where I'm quoting uh, such heresy and false doctrine is painful. 
And yet, if we remember, uh, if we remember, we've we've dealt with polemics in the past um, in our in our teaching. We've already heard uh, accusations or what they believe are commonalities. And so, if we're not cognizant of what they, as a entity or a church, teach, um, we're going to get we can get ourselves into a bit of trouble. But what I'd be careful with, and what what the study really isn't attempting to do is not to completely undermine Mormonism. It will, it should, it's about Christ though. Um, and so I'm curious, by show of hands, has anyone heard it said about Mormons stuff about like magical underwear or ma like undergarments? Has anyone ever heard someone say something about Mormons? Okay. Um, that they have an apostle that currently can talk, that can talk to God currently, okay? And then what about that, um, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, anyone have, want to have any other weird Mormon thing they want to throw out? Okay, I, I'm, I had a, a few banked up and I should have written them down. This is not about how weird Mormonism is, right? This is not about how weird, because if someone were um, to say some of these things, right, we could say this about apostle talking to God, prophet, ongoing prophecy, sounds like Pentecostals. Right? It could be said of us. If someone wanted to talk about the weirdness or come um, and approach the strangeness of our faith, right? What about the Crusades? What about name the tradition that is labeled as Christian, right? And so we have to be careful here when we talk about Mormonism because depending on the Mormon or the person we're talking to, their knowledge of what they teach in terms of they as a church teach might have a serious gap. And so, just like we would ourselves say, why are you talking to me about the Crusades? Like, yeah, Crusades were sinful. Why, why are you talking to me about that? That has nothing to do with what Christ teaches in Scripture. Similarly, it might be difficult to hold a Mormon to what their church teaches. But the, so my goal was, in the rest of this, all the things I quote, I pulled directly from their website in their About Us, What We Believe section. Okay, tried to go to the simplest place. All right, let's dive in. Uh, Mormon Jesus is distinct in being and essence from God the Father. So we read, if you remember in the 1689, 8, chapter 2, he, Christ is distinct, but not in being in essence. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And yet the Mormons believe he is distinct in being and essence, what he is from God the Father. Um, whoever has the microphone, would you mind reading and I'm sorry to make you do this, but read um, this teaching on the, so DNC for, if you read that is a doctrine and covenants, one of their um, scriptures. And this is a teaching by one of their prophets on doctrine and covenant 2028. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one God. This passage has troubled some Latter-day Saints since the church teaches that there are three distinct individual members of the Godhead, President Joseph Fielding Smith explained that both concepts are true. It is perfectly true, as recorded in the Pearl of Great Price and in the Bible, that to us there is but one God. See Moses 1.6 Mark 12.32. Correctly interpreting God in this sense means Godhead, for it is composed of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This Godhead presides over us and to us, the inhabitants of this world, they constitute the only God, or Godhead. There is none other besides them. See 1 Corinthians 8, 5, and 6. To them we are amenable, 
and subject to their authority, and there is no other Godhead unto whom we are subject. However, as the prophet has shown, there can be and are other gods. Okay. <laughs> right? So, so right away, right, we, we might even be going quickly to the, um, the other gods. Um, and we see already there's, there's so much incongruous with itself in this, right? It's, it's undermining itself. It is conflicting in, in teaching here. But what you see is what gets done when describing Jesus. Yes, Jesus is of God, Hev, right? So their actual doctrine and covenant, covenants, Joseph Smith, in his revelation from the angel, he says that Jesus is God. And so the reason that this starts off with um, this statement, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are one God, it's troubled some Latter-day Saints, is because then they go, he has to go in and explain, wait a minute, you all know that Jesus is not God, right? And, he, and that's essentially what he's dealing with. And so what he does is almost, um, it, it's almost like a comparison of, I, I think of maybe like our government. Oh, you have three branches of government, legislative, judicial, executive. And so they're all like the president. They're all the government. But there's really only one president, right? They're trying to lump it in into a general office, um, even though they would consider them three distinct beings. So essence um, and being and essence. And so the words being and essence are critical when talking about Christ and when talking about the Trinity. When we say they are separate persons, Right? When we talk about the Trinity, they are separate persons and act as separate persons. And yet, their being and essence are one and the same. They are all God. One true and holy God. And then obviously, that portion. However, the prophet has shown there can be and are other gods. Well, by uh, the standard of scripture, not only are they to be accursed, but they could be stoned, they are to be cast out, they have a false prophet who has now given false prophecy um, as well. So let's see, more importantly than what the Mormons teach, let's see what Jesus, uh, what we're told about Jesus according to scripture. Uh, whoever uh, has the microphone, can you read John 1, 1 through 3? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Thank you. Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. In the beginning, not created. So he's not a created thing. Um, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. He was, was God. He was not only with God, he was God and continues to be God. All right, uh, John 5, 18. No problem, and as, as gives me time. As we start, as you start looking at those scriptures there and realize what we're reading, the one um, I accidentally meant to put it in the next um, section, so we're going to skip it for now, is Romans 4-5. So whoever has it, we're going to skip Romans 4-5 and hit that um, in the next point. Okay, John, uh, so John five eighteen. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he... Uh, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Okay, even the Pharisees recognize what Christ is saying about himself, what the implications of his teaching are. 
and then John 8, 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Okay, so he's calling himself Yahweh, the I am, referring back to the burning bush. And then uh, we have John 20, 28, doubting Thomas. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believed. So the point here of this portion, right, is Christ is teaching on, on faith. And blessed are, you, um, blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And yet Christ does not correct. He said, my Lord and my God saying you should have believed this without even seeing me. Um, it is so distinct and obvious by my teaching that I am God. Um, then we're going to jump to Acts 20:28. 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Okay. God has obtained this church with his own blood, right? So his own blood. Uh Hebrews 1.8, and I know for those who might be immediately thinking of Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, don't worry, we'll hit it. We'll get, we'll get a lot of the favorites. Uh, we'll hit it in another section here in a little bit. Hebrews 1.8. But about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be a scepter of your kingdom. Thank you. And then lastly... Peter lines it out real straightforward for us. Let's go 2 Peter chapter 1 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. All right. Peter, right? Peter says. To those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And this is an introduction. This is, this is the common thing we all agree on, right? A, a standing. And so to be God is not to be a part of a Godhead. It is to be God in being and in essence. It is what is taught by, his, by the apostles. It's what is taught by Christ himself, um, and then I'm sure many of us can even think of times where he talks about how he will see himself coming, you will see the Son of Man coming down a cloud, right? And, and talking, referring to himself to, to Daniel and Daniel 7. And these are the various, very things that at least the Jews, right, at the time were saying, whoa, you, it is so plain and obvious you're calling yourself God, we need to kill you. Now, there's problems with that clearly, um, and yet there, there can be no denying that Christ is God and called himself God, his apostles continued to refer to it. And so to have a distinct being in essence is a problem. It is wrong. 
then to ha go on to continue to say that there are other gods, right, is clearly against everything that is taught um, starting with uh, from the beginning, but I think most expressly and, and clearly said in Exodus 20. Okay, Mormon Jesus is, is a weak Jesus. He's unable to fully justify anyone. He's really good. He can get a good percentage of your salvation, but not all of it. So uh, whoever has the microphone, would you read um, that, um, the teaching on Doctrines and Covenant 2030? Yeah, Doctrine and Covenant 2030. How does one receive justification? All covenants, contracts, bonds, obligations, oaths, vows, performances, connections, associations, or expectations in which men must abide to be saved and exalted that must be entered into and performed in righteousness so that the Holy Spirit <clears throat> can justify the candidate for salvation in what has been done. Go ahead and read the next paragraph as well. Sorry, the next, oh, right the next below one. it. Yeah, all that together, sorry. As with all other doctrines of salvation, justification is available because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, but it becomes operative in the life of an individual only on condition of personal righteousness. Mormon and Doctrines, uh, page 408. So, um, right, our solas are starting to jump into our mind. Right? We're ready to nail some theses, perhaps, to uh, an LDS building. And yet, it's very clear here in the, fir in the first paragraph that was read uh, by Wayne, um, it must be entered into and performed in righteousness so that the Holy Spirit can justify. You must do this so that the Holy Spirit is able to do, right? This must be done so the Holy Spirit is able to do. Wow, Mormons are powerful. They have things, they get to decide on what the Holy Spirit is capable of doing, right? They have say in what the Holy Spirit can do. And then further below, um, because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ, uh, but it becomes operative in the life of an individual only on conditions of personal righteousness, right? This is very plain and this is very clear that this is not a very good Christ. This is a pretty weak one. My Christ, right, as we'll see in scripture here, is strong enough that I don't have any righteousness to bring to the table and yet he is fully sufficient. And so they're already, um, they would acknowledge or that there is a role in which we play. Now, they will, Mormons will claim, yeah, it's by grace. They'll say all the buzzwords. It is by grace. It is by faith. It is because of Christ. It is through repentance and faith. They will say the buzzwords, right? And yet, we know, at, um, we know in their teaching that there is still a responsibility on man to uphold the law and that if you, you got to hold, uphold a certain amount. And according to the amount to which you hold, then the Holy Spirit is now able to, to fill up your righteousness a little more, and Christ is sufficient for a little bit more, and upon there receive um, eternal life and glory. Uh, let's see what Scripture has to say about our Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, please. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Pretty straightforward, right? Uh, 
Galatians 2.16, whoever gets the mic next. And then, um, Dennis, you're going to have, um, instead of Philippians 3.9, Dennis, can you read Romans 4.5? And I, I actually want to expand how much we read out of Philippians, so I'll read the Philippians passage after that. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in, G in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And then uh, Romans uh, chapter four, verse five. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Okay, faith, faith is all we can have, and even the faith does not come from ourselves. Now, this is where I'll pause for a second. I'm going to read uh, of, uh, this passage out of Philippians 3 um, in a moment here. But this is where I'll pause because what I get concerned about is that we are starting to get in. You, it's easy to get into a mindset. Ooh, I've got the answers to the test. I've got the scripture here that they claim to hold to. Um, they'll say, you know, there's some mistakes there. They've got this kind of get out of jail free card all the time that there's further revelation, which is the rest of um, uh, the scriptures, Pearl Grey Price, the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. But you feel like you've got a, the answers to the test. You're ready to go win a, win a debate with them and continue on. And yet, in, let's say, evangelical discussions, let's take Mormons out of it, is this not, right? Justification is an area of substantial debate. Catholicism, right? This is an area for which there is substantial debate and good reason because our faith rests on Christ only, not us. Even those who we might consider brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Depending on, on um, there are those who we might consider brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Who are, would say, well, I'm not, I, I, I'm not full Calvinist. I'm not all the way there. Um, Christ made it so that I'm able to then come to him. But Christ himself, right? It is not God's, um, that effectual calling. It is not God pulling me. And so even though it's under a layer in, in their teaching, it's under a layer of what seems like very overt and obvious misteaching, we should be careful and be aware this is the false information on Christ and his ability to save and how salvation happens and misunderstanding of Christ's scripture um, everywhere. And while um, it is absolutely wolves and demonic teaching to teach these things, to teach what um, the Mormons are teaching, what the LDS church is teaching, the average Mormon that you might talk to or run across, right, is probably gonna have trouble making distinctions in the same way we need to be clear with other people who call themselves Christians or evangelical Christians, even not necessarily Mormons. Um, but I'm going to read um, Philippians 3 uh, here, and I'm going to read, um, instead of just verse 9, I'm going to read 7 um, through, uh, I'm going to read through 7 through 12. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal, or excuse me, I'm in Ephesians. I'm like, man, where? Okay. See, I'm testing you already. Do you understand? Um, there we go. Philippians. Uh, okay, chapter 3, and then... Uh, let's, yeah, verse 7. But what, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, become, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, key here is the righteousnesses of God's. Verse nine, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. But again, you see that last half of the portion from the Mormon Jesus, but it becomes operative in the life of an individual only on conditions of personal righteousness. Okay, it's, it's just, it's a false Jesus, it's not gonna work. Okay, Mormon Jesus is a created being. Whoever has a microphone, if you wouldn't mind reading um, the, both of those, uh, let's read, yeah, both of those paragraphs uh, for us. Jesus was the bridegroom at the marriage of Cana of Galilee, and he told them what to do. Now there was actually a marriage, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom on that occasion, please tell who was. I shall say here that before the Savior died, he looked upon his own natural children as we look upon ours. I discover that some of the Eastern papers represent me as a great blasphemer because I said in my lecture on marriage at our last conference that Jesus Christ was married at Cana of Galilee, that Mary, Martha, and others were his wives, and that he begat children. Ew, this is hard to read. All that I had to say in reply to that charge is this. They worship a savior that is too pure and holy to fulfill the commands of his father. I worship one that is just pure and holy enough to fulfill all righteousness, not only the righteous law of baptism, but the still more righteous and important law to multiply and replenish the earth. Startle not at this, for even the father himself honored that law by coming down to Mary without a natural body and begetting a son, and if Jesus begat children, he only did that which he had, had seen his father do. Or Orson Hyde, one of the original 12 apostles appointed by Joseph Smith. Um, icky, icky stuff. Um, <laughs> let's quickly jump into scripture here. Uh, next person, Colossians 1. You can see here though, the idea is that the, um, so Mormons teach that you need marriage to get to the highest levels of glory. You need marriage, a marriage um, on earth to be able to have higher levels of glory is a requirement. And that God sub subjected himself to the law 
and was married to uphold that law. Um, uh, wrong in so many ways, and yet what the absolute belief of Mormon doctrine is, is that Christ had a beginning. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard that they believe Jesus is Lucifer's brother and um, that <laughs> the familial relationship, you'll hear them go to father, they'll talk about all my uh, father, my heavenly father, um, over and over, and they talk about this familial relationship as this great catch-all um, for the relationship between Christ and, um, uh, and the Father, so the first and second persons of the Trinity, they'll talk to them in such a familial relation, but they, they teach that he has a beginning, that he had a beginning, and that he was created and then sent to the world um, and created through um, God the Father, impregnating Mary, um, uh, begetting a son, and then Jesus now having his own children, uh, and multiple wives walking uh, the earth. Uh, what does Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 17 tell us? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, this to me sums up exactly, if you were to want to take something away to, have, to memorize and to be able to talk to Mormons, um, this would be what I would want to have on my mind. Um, it hits on pretty much all of these uh, topics we've talked about so far. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in this last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. He is the exact imprint of his nature, exact imprint of his nature, not the offspring, not an image bearer in the way that we are image bearers. He is the exact imprint of his nature. So there are a lot more teachings on Christ I don't necessarily encourage anyone to go out and start reading them, getting on the Mormon website and reading them. But I want to make sure to turn this into points of application for us because although there's some things that have been plainly said that are right there on their teachings, on their websites, um, in their scriptures that we can um, point to and say, hey, look, this is on your website. The, the average Mormon, right, is going to have a very different understanding. And the example I'd give is... Um, I was leaving ASU football game. I'm getting ready. I have a sermon uh, the next day on Sunday, Saturday night, and we're on the light rail getting, heading back to the car. I have my boys with me, and I'm having them test me on some memory verses I had been working on. And then a young man comes in. He looks um, down on his luck, right? He he's, um, looks homeless, probably early 20s, and he's sitting there and hears us talking um, and quoting scripture. He goes, are you talking about the Bible? I said, yes. And he's like, oh, wonderful. I love that. I noticed he has a little bracelet. It said Psalm. I, mean, I can't remember the Psalm now, but um, it had a Psalm on it. 
And um, I, so I noticed that, and, um, and I said, oh, okay, well, what, is that, what does that bracelet, bracelet mean to me? And he was like, actually, he was really excited. I just learned that it's not pronounced psalm, it's psalm. And I'm like, okay, I'm realizing, okay, maybe this was handed out. And then before going in any further, he goes, so are you, are you a Christian? I said, yes. He then goes, so I'm confused. How is the heavenly father, which immediately I'm going, okay, the Mormons have gotten this guy. I hear heavenly father, which is a wonderful term used in scripture. And yet typically when people start with that, you know where it's going. How's the heavenly father and Jesus both able to be the same person? And he's, he's asking about the Trinity. And so this man, I, I believe, has been evangelized to probably by Mormon missionaries, and I wouldn't say he's likely would consider himself even a Mormon, but he's clearly been taught something. And this young man, he had a notebook. He was writing and journaling for himself. Um, and so when I started talking to him, and we only had a few minutes to stop, and we start talking and opening up scripture, he's writing things down. And here's this well-intentioned young man. And if I turn around and go to him, well, let me go to the Mormon website and show how they're wrong, wrong, wrong. It's, gonna, not, it's not gonna save them. That's not the point. The whole point of this was I needed to be on guard and aware, okay, he has been taught false doctrine. What he knows and what I, in these next two minutes, have to talk to him about is the true Jesus because all he has been told is a false Jesus. And so I would say, like, our first point of application is you have to be able to know and be discerning when you hear claims about Jesus, this man could have said, oh yeah, I have this psalm bracelet and I love Jesus. And if I would have said, high five, cool, team Jesus, get off at the next stop, right? There is a significant difference between his standing and my standing before God. Um, if uh, Paul looks like you have the microphone, if you'd be willing to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good. Okay, test everything, hold fast what is good. So when someone claims something, we are to test it against Scripture, which is why the model for today, what do they teach? Let's go to Scripture. What does Scripture tell us about Jesus? And so this is where I would say we need to be on guard. The way in which we treat individuals will vary. The way Christ varied, he is the perfect model, right? The difference between this young man on a on the light rail, the difference between a Mormon on a bike, young man in a white shirt on a bike, and the difference between someone who is a bishop at a Mormon church, right? The way you handle them and the either chastisement or the, um, the giving of the gospel might be approached differently. And there has to be wisdom and discerning, but we also have to be aware when people start using words to ask questions by what those words mean, right? And uh, Mormons will be quick to tell you of Jesus was born of Mary, the Virgin Mary, on this, you know, 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. They'll say all the surrounding periphery things that sound the same. And yet, what I'm hoping I've equipped you with are some of the central elements of our faith. It is what we need for faith is the knowledge of Christ and his ability to secure our salvation, not ourselves. And so you are to ask questions and test what they are to say. And then our second point of application here is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus of Scripture not through the dismantling of LDS doctrine. So I want to be careful here because you might start to feel, think that I have a whole heaping load of, of um, sympathy for Mormons. And I do for certain, they have been getting false teaching. 
And yet there are also, there is a distinction between the teachers and those who are taught. There's a distinction between all of them, what they know. And so this is where I would say what we need to remember is that salvation will not come by, let me talk to you about how in the 1860s to 1870s, Mormonism taught that the darker your skin was meant how, more, how, much, how much more sinful you were in your previous time on earth and that God had given you another chance to have a more righteous life, um, but the sign of your sinfulness was the color of your skin, right? Or talking about things like, oh, let's talk about the weirdness of your underwear or the scandals of the prophets and these various things. Though even if you prove them and someone goes, yeah, you're right, this is rough, they are no closer to salvation. Salvation comes through the, the hearing of the word and to hear about Christ. And so this is where I would say, if the point of application should be, are you clear on the things we've talked about? Are you clear that Christ is the same in being in essence as the Father? Are you clear that it is only Jesus because of the sacrifice of Jesus that can justify, not by works, not, not by anything we can do? None of us can boast. And that Jesus is not a created being. He is eternal, upholds the world. Well, that's what they need to know. They don't just need to know the, the, under, the undermining of what they teach. Now, you will have to use prudence because if I'm talking to a Mormon missionary who's knocked on my door, I may perhaps start with asking, you're going to always start with questions, asking them, well, tell me about your Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? And getting to the, we need to get to the truth. And maybe for them, someone who's been trained up, lined up, mil made militant to go out and evangelize um, the Mormon teaching and doctrine, I might need to go in and, and show, right? They're not mutually exclusive. I can show where LDS doctrine is wrong. But do not lose track anywhere along the way that it is knowledge, faith of Christ that will allow us to be saved. It is not the dismantling. And so um, I would encourage you, if you're looking for practical ways to talk to a Mormon, I will give you permission and put you off the hook. You do not need to be smarter than the person you're talking to. You do not need to be quick, more quickly witted than the person you're talking to. You not need, do not need to have no, more knowledge about their doctrine than them. You need to know the truth of the gospel, figure out what it is they're teaching, and then teach them the truth of the gospel. And from there, the Holy Spirit will do his work, right? We will disciple. Okay, I do want to open up some time. Um, we have a just a couple minutes here for any questions or comments on um, any of this. Jamie's got a hand up. How would you appeal to... Oh, we got a microphone coming. Sorry. How would you appeal to the authority and sufficiency of Scripture? Yeah, I think, um, I think there are ways you could get into it. I would start by asking them of their opinion of scripture, figure out what they say and what boundaries they set. So if they immediately start with there's errors, right, then I have, I have issues. We're going to start challenging and asking about that. And I can even go um, on to show, well, in your own scriptures, it says Jesus is God. But I, I would say I would spend more of my time, once they say, yes, it's good, it's true, I'd spend more of my time just getting into it, not trying to prove that scripture is accurate. I would rather just go to them with scripture and give them the truth. My main concern is if they're in the business of discounting scripture mm -hmm. according to their uh, preferences, then you've got a problem um, that needs to be overcome. 
But I would say that's the case for every single person who does not believe. I agree. Right? Every single person. So when I talk to someone, I can't start with, let me talk to you about the infallibility of scripture, right? And take them through the whole, um, like 1689 does start with of scripture, right? It goes, let's talk about that. And there is absolutely value and importance, especially if you're discipling someone about here is the truth of scripture. And yet, typically, I don't know about you all, but when I have evangelistic opportunities as they come up, they're for, you have a few minutes, I don't have time to talk about the authority of scripture as much as I need to talk to them about Christ and then point them to the scripture. And so um, I would say, yes, there are ways to, if, you're, if you have friends, and many of us have, have Mormon acquaintances and friends to start to teach and talk about the authority of scripture, we've talked about it in our church on the history of, of um, the canon, things like that. And yet, that's where I would encourage you, don't have a debate with a Mormon. If you only have a couple minutes, don't have a debate with a Mormon on scripture. Tell them about Jesus. Sorry, I'm a broken record. I'm going to keep going back to tell them about Jesus and what scripture says about Jesus, whether they believe it or not. You don't have to opt in to go, okay, I'm now ready to receive the gospel, right? Because none of us would. None of us would. Give it to them. Send that annoying political marketing text, right? Give them the gospel. And Lord willing, as they have questions, uh, you can progress from there. All right. We have one, time for one more question. We don't have time for one more question, but we're going to do it anyway. Well, it's a comment. It's just, uh... So one of the things you could do in, in speaking to a Mormon is you could reference the Nicene Creed on your phone if you have it and, and walk through, like, because it talks, it breaks down the Trinity. And the Nicene Creed was written, I believe, in the 4th or 5th century, and it was written in response to heresies. So it's codifying doctrine in response to heresy. So it, you know, it, it works because it, it, especially on the sun, it, uh, if I remember correctly, it was written specifically to counter or to correct heresy about Christ. And so uh, there's a long section on, on the Christ. Of course, we reach, we read that in here a good bit. I would say you could reference that, but also you're going to want to have to have the scriptures, uh, like the ones we've mentioned today, it would be good to have those on hand because you gotta, you want to build a references directly in, in, in scriptures. So. Yeah, the, I think the way I would take the Nicene Creed, and, mm -hmm. and you're right, it does, it yeah. addresses. I think Gnosticism specifically was the was the main heresy at the time yeah. it was addressing. But I think the creed is very good at organizing and helping us have a organized agreement and thought on Christ. I would not take them to it. In the same way that, how would we view someone go, let me bring up the Pearl of Great Price. You're like, okay, thank you for bringing up this document. Even though I agree with what is taught in the Nicene Creed, my goal will be, let me tell you the truth about Jesus and let me get you into scripture, right? So sure. this is where I would sure. say, I think you're exactly right where, to me, having knowledge of it and that organization of thought is that, that pre-equipping and pre-arming. And then what I would go to them with and talk about is let's get into scripture. So when they go, huh? And I say, well, your church teaches that you believe in these scriptures, read it, just read it. I encourage you, just read more of this. We went to John regularly, 
John's a great one to go. Just start reading John, right? And get them into the word um, because faith comes from hearing yeah. and the teaching of the word of God. Um, so yeah. I'm not disagreeing, but this is where yeah. I'd be careful going yeah. to any yeah. resource other than scripture. Because yep. if I have a few minutes, my hope is they walk away going, hmm, I, let me read this more so I can prove him wrong next time. Yeah. Please do. Please read it more. Prove me wrong next time. Get into the word because the Holy Spirit will do what he wants to do. With yeah, that. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So... Um, I appreciate everyone's engagement. I, I have to imagine there might even be a little bit of letdown because we're going to get into the spiciness and craziness of Mormonism. And yet the true insanity of Mormonism is the same insanity of the rest of the world, which is denying Christ as their savior and king. And so the whole point of knowing anything about Mormonism is solely to be the bridge and understanding to get us to Christ. That is the only thing we need. And so um, I hope you see the value in this. I really hope that at some point uh, we can engage in further discussions of times when you've either evangelized Mormons or Lord willing evangelize soon, getting equipped. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you. Thank you for being clear on teaching us about your being, your essence, the three persons, distinct in personhood, but the same, one and the same God. Lord, there are no other gods before you. There are no other gods but you. We pray that as we encounter those with false doctrine, that we'll be discerning, that we will know when there is a time to point out them as Pharisees, to go more on attack, to acknowledge them being a brood of vipers, Lord, but also understanding those who have been taught doctrine that they don't understand, they don't know, Lord. Please help us be quick to go to scripture to teach them about Christ. Lord, I pray that today as we come together to worship, as we get ready to, to uh, engage in your worship service, that your glory will be reflected back upon you in such a beautiful way that it will be a sweet, sweet smell to your nose, that it will be incense to your nose, and that it will be a beautiful sound to your ears as we rejoice in the glory of what the true Christ has done. In your son's name we pray. Amen.